Well, my theme for preaching this year has been the idea of experiencing God. How do we experience God in our lives? How do we recognize those experiences? How do we respond to it? How do we faithfully follow what we're experiencing in God and what he's leading us to? And, And over the summer here, I've been preaching about Celtic Christianity because not only is it part of our spiritual DNA that in some ways I think we've lost, but also... Um, they understood experiencing God. Uh, they were very focused on experiencing God. And so uh, I've been really loving this series. It's been teaching me a lot of things. I, I think what it's been doing, especially for me, is to give me some new ways to talk about things I've been thinking about and talking about for a long time, but I didn't have the Celtic history to sort of talk about that. Uh, and, and last week was one of those examples where uh, I was talking about uh, Celtic monasticism, or what it meant that they lived in monasteries and abbeys and, and lived a rule of life. And, and so it, that was a, a great to say, like, that's the kind of community that I, I want to see us be. Not that we all have to be monks or nuns, but that we are people dedicated to prayer, people sharing our lives together. And, and so today I want to kind of continue some of those themes uh, in, in introducing a concept I had absolutely never heard of before I started this Celtic research. Okay, so it won't surprise me if you've never heard of it because I have absolutely never heard of it. The idea is called an Anam Kara. Anam Kara, sounds like a karate move or something. It's a Gaelic word, okay, Anam Kara. And in Gaelic, it really means like soul friend or soul mate. This is a person that you share your life with. This is a person that you can talk to about anything. A person that you can really be yourself. A deep enough friendship that you can talk about spiritual matters and be yourself. So normally in the monasteries what would happen is an older monk would start to mentor a younger monk. Okay, or an older nun would start to mentor a younger nun. They would sort of take them under their wings and create a space for them to talk. Part of that would be confession because I think... I think we've missed this a little bit as Protestants. I do not want to do confession, by the way. You don't have to call me for that stuff. But there is something about naming your sins and naming your dark side that if you don't acknowledge something and you don't shine light on something, it can't be healed. You can't move past it if you won't name it and you won't acknowledge it. If you won't acknowledge it's a problem, this is Alcoholics Anonymous starts this way. If you can't acknowledge you have a problem... You can't fix the problem. You can't begin to heal the problem. So part of it would be confession. Part of it would also be what we would call spiritual direction. Now, now this is a weird term. Maybe some of you have heard this, but it's kind of come back a little bit in Christianity. But a spiritual director was a person that basically guided you spiritually. They were like a counselor or a guide. So you would go talk to them. They would talk about where you were spiritually, diagnose some of the issues of where things were, and then they might actually... Um, they might actually put forth a treatment option. In other words, uh, new forms of prayer, spiritual disciplines that might help you. But, but the biggest part of uh, having an Anam Kara, a soul friend, was having the space to be yourself, not just a top-down relationship. And, and in Anam Kara's in uh, monasteries, that would often happen, right? At, at one point, there was an older monk and a younger monk. But over time, we would both be older monks, right? We would both, like eventually, it wasn't about a mentoring relationship. It was about a, a mentor, a relationship where you shared your life with someone else. 
Now, to understand an Anam Karal, you got to also understand uh, something about the Celts I haven't talked about a lot, which was that they had a whole priestly class in their society, in Celtic society, called the Druids. The Druids. Now, when we heard the word Druid, we think of like cloaked figures, uh, hooded figures, with doing dark magic, leading human sacrifices. By the way, not totally inaccurate, okay? But the Druids were also, were also just functioned, not just as religious leaders, they were sort of the, the elders of the community, okay? They held the wisdom. They kept track of the memories and the stories and the history. They were the scholars and the teachers. <coughs> they were the judges and the advisors. And so in Celtic society, it was natural for you to meet regularly with the Druids and talk about your life, talk about your spiritual life, and get advice. They would, they would create spaces where you could just be honest and be yourself. Now, over time, the Druids sort of lost their power and their place in society and kind of went away. At the same time, the Celtic culture became predominantly Christian. But this idea of an Anam Kara, this idea of a mentoring or a soul friend or somebody you could really be yourself and share remained. The Christians sort of saw, oh, this Anam Kara that we did with Druids also is kind of like the mentoring and confession that we do in our monasteries. We should keep that. And so it sort of gets redeemed. The Bible actually has a lot, I think, to, to lend towards this idea. Now, the Bible clearly won't use a Gaelic word, but the Bible does have a lot to say about sharing our life with others. In Genesis, in the creation story, everything is good. Over and over again, it's good, it's good, it's good, and then in the end, it's very good. But what's the one thing that's not good? What's the first thing that's not good? Not good for man to be alone. So right from the beginning of the Bible, part of the problem is when we're alone. Proverbs 13 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of the fools will suffer harm. In other words, be careful who you walk with because you, you become like the people you're around. Proverbs 27, you may be more familiar with this one. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Ecclesiastes says two, Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, the other can help them up. They pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So this is a consistent theme in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, but also shows up in the New Testament. Galatians 6 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are already doing. John and John, or Jesus in John 15 says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater, has no one than, the greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. So even Jesus is saying, it's not good to be alone. you got to love others. you got to carry one another's burden. Like, like, this is all over Scripture. This idea of the Anamkara was very important to Celtic Christianity. St. Patrick himself was a monk in Gaul, which is now today basically France. And uh, he had a mentor. Okay, guy's name was Germanus. Patrick in his life would talk about how important Germanus was in the growing of his faith and then eventually in the growing of his missionary zeal to go back to Ireland. In other words, part of Patrick's understanding is if he didn't have this person that was mentoring and with, walking with him, 
he might not have done all the stuff that he did. Here's some other things that Celtic saints have said about having a soul friend. A Celtic saint named Morgan said, People cannot grow in virtue on their own. We each need companions to guide and direct us on the way of righteousness. Without such companions, we are liable to stray from the firm path and then sink into the mud of despair. There's so much wisdom in that. Without a good companion, okay, without a companion and guide for righteousness, what are you going to do? You're going to get off the hard path. You're going to get in the mud of despair. St. Comgol of Bangor, a 7th century, of 7th century Ireland, Ireland states, Though you may think you are very solid, it is not good to be your own guide. Not good to be your own guide. You need somebody else's perspective. You have probably experienced this, right? Like, you ever been looking for something and you can't find it? And you ask somebody to help and they instantly walk in and are like, there it is. And it's not just men in the refrigerator. It's all of us. We can't see the stuff and somebody else walks in and can instantly see it. Okay, it's not good to be your own God. You need somebody else. St. Saint, Saint who from the 400s, said that a person without a soul friend is like a body without a head. If you don't have this person that you can share your life with, you are like a body without a head. There's no sense. There's no direction. There's no meaning and purpose. There's so much wisdom in this. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a soul friend? Like when I describe sharing your life with somebody like this, do you have that person you can do it with? Now I realize that, that if you're in marriage, there's some of this that should go along with the territory. But I also think this is talking about something that's not a marriage. Okay, like, like some of this happens in marriage, yes. But one of the main things you sometimes need to talk about is your marriage. And sometimes having somebody outside of that is kind of helpful. Who do you bear your soul with? Who knows your flaws and your sins? Who can you be totally yourself in front of? Like the thoughts you wouldn't dare say in public. Who knows those? Who gets to hear what you hate and what you curse at and who hurt you? Who's mentoring you in your faith? Who are you mentoring in your faith? See, if we're honest, we don't have an answer to some of these questions. Like there's a lot of these questions when, when we start thinking about them, we don't have a name that comes to us. The part of the problem is we live in such an individualistic society that this is really contrary to the way we were trained, contrary to the way we were raised in a lot of ways. Okay, here's a little inventory. A couple more questions. Let's see. When was the last time you had someone not related to you over to your house for a meal? When's the last time you were in someone's house for a meal that wasn't related to you? How many people, I love this question, I got it out from a book, and, and um, how many people have refrigerator rights in your life that are not related to you? In other words, how many people can walk in your house and not just walk in your house and see your mess, but they're allowed and it's okay for them to get in the fridge and get what they want? For many of us, there's not many people that have refrigerator rights anymore. When is the last time you shared your deepest feelings or longings or heard those of somebody else? When is the last time you had a conversation with another individual about your faith, your doubts, and how you might grow deeper as a follower of Christ? Now, 
I know that this is not the kind of individual. This, like, this runs very contrary to the individualism that we have in America today. And I know it, it's even hard to see because it's, uh, we, we grew up on this. Like, like individualism is the water that we are fish swimming in. And so it's hard for us to wrap our heads around thinking about this differently. But I tell you what, if I was Satan... If I was Satan and I knew all this stuff that the Bible says about how it's not good for men to be alone, for people to be alone, and, and how if you don't have somebody to hold you up, you're going to fall. If I was Satan, one of the things I would try to do is get Christians to be as individualistic and alone as possible. Make them stand on their own, and I know they won't be able to stand. I think we need an Ankara. We need soul friends. We need to share our lives and our faith with others. But immediately there are some big hurdles for us as Americans for doing this. Hurdle number one. We have trouble being needed and needing others. I see this all the time. I, and and what happens a lot of times is I notice people like one or the other. They like to help others, but they can't receive help. Okay. Or they are needy and want help from everybody else, but they provide no help to other people. Right? We, we all have trouble. In fact, we were probably taught. How many of you were taught to be self-reliant? Don't show your needs. Okay? Don't be too needy. Don't make people a user and make them use you, right? Okay? We're like this. So I have, we have a little dog at my house. Bash, Sebastian. And for some reason, this dog is like needy beyond anything I can understand. He just wants to be with you and he wants to be near you. And, and yesterday, my wife went up to Erie with a friend and this dog followed me around all day and was like right here. And I eventually shut him out of the room because he was just annoyed. Like, I don't want to be that needed. You know what I'm saying? We're not good at being needed. We're not good at being needy. Hurdle number two, I mean, we, we have lost our ability to be ourselves and let other people be themselves. I'm convinced in this society, we try to hide who we are all the time to the point that I think a lot of people don't even know who they are. They only know the roles they're pretending to be around other people. Don't show your pain. Don't show your weakness. Conceal, don't feel. Okay? And, it, and, and if we're like that, it makes it difficult for us to be ourselves. And if we can't be ourselves... Then, then automatically, we can't let other people be themselves. Like if there's somebody around that is just themselves and really comfortable in their own skin, it bothers, it bothers people. Hurdle number three. I think it's a core competency of soul friendship to be a good listener. And I think in our society, we have completely lost the art of listening. True, attentive listening is the bedrock of soul friendship, and we don't know how to listen. We are automatically, when we listen, we are, we are listening for their position. We are listening for what side they're on. I have a friend who's a pastor. I'm not going to name names. And this person, when they are listening, I, I re, she, they, they drive me crazy. And I realized what it is, is they are always listening to be offended. They're not really listening to the conversation. They're listening for what they could be offended about in the conversation. We've lost the ability to listen. And if you can't truly listen, then you can't have soul friends like this. How can we listen to God if we can't even listen to each other? Especially when God often speaks through each other to us. 
If we can't listen to each other, we can't listen to God. And it is a real problem in our society. Hurdle number four. One of the primary ways that friendship and soul conversations have happened historically is they have happened around the table over a meal. And we don't eat together anymore. Most families don't sit down at a meal and eat. Most people do not have other people over to their house. We have restaurants. Why would we have people over at our house? Well, listen, there's a reason why we like restaurants and not our house. It's not just the mess. It's because being in our house is personal. I can say things at my table I would never say at Tanner's, right? There's certain conversations I'm never going to have at a restaurant. And so if I go to a restaurant having people, instead of people having over from my house, I can hide from the deep soul conversations. We need to have people over to the table at our house. And you know what? In, in most of our houses, you know what the table does? It just collects bills. We just use it as storage. We don't use it to eat anymore. And we are missing out. And, and by the way, some of these things, I think COVID actually made worse. Right? Because during COVID, not only, not only do we have trouble sharing our lives with others, but we weren't allowed to go eat with anybody else. And we were told that our neighbor is not only dangerous, but could kill us. And, and psychologically, I think there's a lot we're going to have to be dealing with for a long time. The pandemic left wounds and fears that maybe a couple generations of healing. And it's stuff we weren't that good at before the pandemic. This kind of deep friendship I'm talking about is hard for us. It's not natural for us. It's actually antithetical to the way our society shows that we should be. But I think it's important. I think it's so I think we're missing out as Christians if we can't have these kind of soul friends where we're sharing our. Where do you go where you can just be you and go deep? We don't have those spaces. We don't have those relationships anymore and we're hurting because of it. Now, here's a here here let me give you something that I think can help you think this through in a little different way. And I have no idea where my dad got this. I should have asked him, and I didn't. But I, one of the things I remember him talking about in multiple sermons growing up is that how the Apostle Paul had these kind of relationships. And Paul had several relationships. Paul had Barnabas when he became a Christian, and then when he was starting into his missions, Barnabas was an older Christian that sort of mentored Paul when he first became a missionary. And then Paul had this other guy named Silas. Silas was kind of like Paul. And we don't have letters of Silas. We don't, you know, we, we hear about Silas. We don't have anything he wrote. But Silas was kind of like equal with Paul. He was a fellow missionary that was on the road and was doing all this stuff. Okay, and, and he was sort of Paul's partner sometimes. And then Paul had this other character that named Timothy. And Timothy was a younger Christian that Paul had worked with and had mentored and that then Paul sent on different missions. Like if Paul couldn't get somewhere, he would send Timothy. Okay, so Paul had a Barnabas to mentor him. He had a Silas to share the road with and he had a Timothy that he was mentoring. I think about an, om an Amkara in your life, maybe it's a good idea to think about who's your Barnabas, who's your Silas, who's your Timothy? Who's mentoring you? And, and listen, it doesn't have to be an age thing, okay? Like, who doesn't have to be an age thing. It doesn't have to be somebody older than you. Somebody who's further along the road, that's fine, 
Doesn't have to be somebody perfect either, somebody on the road. That's great. But who, who has the knowledge, who has the wisdom that I need in certain areas of my life? Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Silas? Who are you walking along the road with? And who are you mentoring? Because here's what I have noticed in churches. I have noticed that a lot of people around here will talk about great saints who have gone on before, right? A lot of you are in church today because somebody modeled for you what it meant to go to church. And you looked up to that person. It might have been your grandmother or grandfather. It might have been somebody in the church. You had somebody that sort of mentored you and brought you up in the faith. But one of the things I don't think we've done a great job of in the church is mentoring the next generation. Right? Who are you mentoring? Who are you bringing up? Okay? Even, if, even on our committees as a church, who are you, who are you, who's on the committee that you're training that can take over the committee? Who are you training to lead? Who are you bringing up? Who is your Barnabas? Who is your Silas? Who is your Timothy? Who's mentoring you? Who's journeying with you? And who are you mentoring? Those are great ways, I think, to start thinking about what are those Anam Kara? Where are those people that you're finding that connection with? And let me just end with a quick list of what I think a good Anam Kara, what does a good soul friend look like? Okay, here's a couple things to look like, to look for, or if you're gonna be one for somebody else, here's maybe what you should think about being like in your character to be with somebody else. I've already said, number one, a good listener. Somebody who actually listens. Compassionate and understanding. Able to be brutally honest without being brutal. Okay? Can you be brutally honest without being brutal? Can you be truthful without being critical? To be trustworthy, to handle the, the weight of the confidentiality. So if somebody is sharing their soul with you, it's going to stay between us. Radically trustworthy. They need to be mature. They don't have to have it all together, but they need to be growing. They need to have serious work done. Like when you go to hire a trainer, you want a trainer that's decently in shape. You don't have to be perfect, but you'd like one that's, you know, working out some. <laughs> you want a trainer that's doing the work. Okay, you want that in a spiritual friend, somebody that's going to be in it with you, that's going to be doing it themselves, and to be genuine and humble. Can, you, can they be themselves... And also not be in the relationship for their own gain alone. Can they bring themselves to it, but also not have to take it over? Jesus loved us first. Jesus died for us. Jesus gave all for us, for our redemption and for our healing. And part of how Jesus intends to work that out in your life is through your friendships, through your relationships, through your soul friends. So may we find Jesus in our Anam Karaz. Amen.